Welcome to Word from the Herd, produced and brought to you by the Kimmel Foundation for Recovering Leadership. Welcome to Word from the Herd. I'm your host, Thomas Hill, and I'm really excited today to be with Sandra Quince. Now, Sandra, I'm going to try to get this right. Your title is so long, I don't know how you do business cards, but she is the Global Diversity and Inclusion Senior VP, plus she's the Market President HR Executive for Bank of America, and she's um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sandra, welcome to the show. Thank you, Thomas. Such a pleasure to be here today. And, you know, you can't don't let titles fool you. I just do a bunch of work at the bank around diversity and inclusion and help out in my market. So it is such a pleasure. Now, for those of you who don't know Sandra, uh, Sandra's got a a great background. Um, She's been working in banking for most of her career and has has moved into the diversity and inclusion, as well as developing talent. Um, Really, she's responsible for what at Bank of America, they call the Global Diversity and Inclusion Council. And they lead and support key initiatives at the bank, focusing on ethically diverse talent, women, and creating an inclusive work environment. And then when she puts on her market president human resources hat, she's also responsible for driving employee engagement and retention, as well as working on performance planning. So you have your hands full on a daily basis, I imagine. Yes, have my hands full and um, I'm, I'm grateful for it and I love the work. So absolutely. Yeah, never a dull day. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, Sandra, so we're going to get we're just going to kick this off. I, I ask all of my guests uh, the same question which is kind of fun to get to know people. And so this is the question, Sandra, who was your hero when you were growing up or maybe in your early teens? And if it's changed, who's your hero now? And tell us a little bit about why. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think growing up, it's, um, it's, I I looked up to so many people. You know, what's funny is um, Wonder Woman just, kicked off Wonder Woman 84. And I remember telling my husband, oh my gosh, Linda Carter was awesome. And I just wanted to be so superhuman and be so strong as a woman. And so while not necessarily a hero of mine, someone that I just really looked at, and that's why representation matters. That's why it's important to be able to see yourself in people so that you can strive for what 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 they're presenting to you, um, but I would have to say, growing up, honestly, my great grandmother was my hero. Um, and not many people have the opportunity to grow up with their great grandmother, um, but she was alive well into my twenties, um, even after I had my first child or my only son, rather. And um, and she taught me so many things. She she taught me how to respect and value history. She taught me how to respect and value people. She taught me the proper way to be a lady and a woman. And she just embodied everything. And still to this day, there are things that I repeat to my child that she used to say to us all of the time. Um, And she would say things like, Sandra, you have everything heart and hand would wish for. And I always wonder, what do you mean by that? But what she was basically telling me is you have to be grateful for what you have. There is nothing that you're wanting. And although we didn't have a lot of money, 
it wasn't about that. It was about the love. It was about the safe environment. It was about having my family around me, about, you know, um, just just growing up in a way where you where you had a bed to sleep in, where you had food on the table, where you really um, were very fortunate to, 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 be, um, to be who you were. And so she really was uh, my hero then. And, and I would say, honestly, I don't think that that's changed. Um, I remember when she passed, one of the things that I shared is if I could be half the woman that she was, that I would consider myself a success. And I think about her often. That is fantastic. You know, it, it is true, um, especially these days. I, I know that a lot of young people don't have sometimes even grand, their grandparents in their lives, certainly not their great-grandparents. Um, I, too, uh, I knew four of my great-grandparents and all of my grandparents, and not just as a baby, like into my, into my early childhood, old enough that I have very, very specific memories and remember the things they said and did and um, and it makes a huge impact. So that's fantastic. Thank you for telling us that story. Absolutely. And, and by the way, your great grandmother is so correct that the, the concept of gratefulness, of, of understanding that, that we really do have so much, even when we feel like we're, we're being, you know, we're suffering. Um, certainly here in America, we are so blessed. And, and even the poorest people in America are better off than many, many people worldwide. Doesn't mean we shouldn't keep working to, to elevate everybody's level, but, but we do, we, we are blessed with so much here in America. And, and I, I think sometimes we just don't, we forget that. And you know that's a shame because it, it, it impacts our attitudes, it impacts how we behave. Absolutely, Thomas. Well, today, Sandra, we wanna talk with you a little bit about how leaders can create a safe environment. One of the very important ways that leaders demonstrate to the people that they are serving, that they care about them. And of course, our core belief at the foundation and here at Kimry is, is that everybody is equally and intrinsically valuable and that we should demonstrate that through respect and honor and how we care for people. We should, we should demonstrate that and communicate that. Very important way we do that is by providing a safe environment. At Kimry is a manufacturing company and obviously we've been working the entire history of the company and we have government agencies that help us, you know, OSHA is our friend, right? They come in and say, hey, this isn't safe and this isn't safe. We don't want anybody to get hurt, finger smashed or a foot smashed or big cut or something like that. So physical safety has been um, very paramount in, in business for a long time, but I don't think we've spent nearly as much time on emotional and mental safety and, and that's something that, that you work at a lot, I, I know. Your current position uh, puts you in charge of kind of making sure that people in your organization feel accepted and valued, which is part of that feeling safe, as well as being physically safe. So we know a lot of the obvious ways, but you probably have experience with a lot of the things that maybe we don't recognize or, or haven't, haven't picked up on yet. So if you would, tell us some ways that are, that, that, today are still going unrecognized that leaders should be focusing on to make people feel included and valued and safe in the workplace? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think it's something that we, it's so paramount, right? And I, I love what you said about, you know, distinguishing the physical safety and the psychological safety. But to be honest, um, in this year of, um, and last year of COVID and, and continuing forward, all of us are gonna to have to continue to think about physical safety. 
because it is now become, you know, could be a life or death matter if you contract COVID. And so we have to be thinking about that. But to your question around this, this sort of notion around valuing employees and providing a safe environment where I can feel comfortable and bring my whole self to work is so critical and so important. And some of the things that we have to think about is what we like to talk about sometimes in our company is the 20 square feet, right? It's where the employee has the majority of their interaction for their career. And so when you think about that, it's who are they coming in contact with on a regular basis, because that becomes the place where they need to experience that safety net and feel that value. So you think about the manager. It The manager is everything in a company. And so unless your managers understand truly what it means to lead people and lead in a way where they have emotional intelligence, where, where, where they understand that their words matter, where they clearly have a good grasp on diversity and inclusion and how to create that environment for their, um, for their people. But at the same time, they have to then understand how to manage the work because that's what they're there for. So they are this player coach model. And I don't think in companies we've done enough to equip our managers to not just manage processes, but to also be able to lead people and create these safe environments. And I think it's helping them to understand what that really means. What does it mean to show value to employee? What does it mean to create psychological safety? And so what does it mean when we talk about diversity and inclusion? And oh, by the way, what's the value and the vision of the company and how we show up every day? And so some of the things that, you'll, that, that we've been embarking upon is we have launched um, diversity and inclusion training for all of our managers. And so we've realized that, yes, a lot of times when you promote managers and you're promoting people, you're promoting people who have technically done a great job but you haven't really assessed them on the leadership um, scale, right? You haven't really assessed them on what they're doing around diversity and inclusion. And so there are a few ways that we can begin to measure that. So you think about your employee satisfaction survey. Do you have a diversity and inclusion index? And that's just a few questions that you would ask that would tell you and give you an indication of how we're doing um, in our environment. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the environment like? And more importantly, you can drill down and for managers, you can see based on how many employees report to them, show them a report that tells them what is your specific DNI index and what does that tell us about your leadership? And then how do you then build um, what they need, the necessary resources and tools and training that they need in order to bridge that gap. So that's the first thing. And I think for us, we are we are in that journey. We have a DNI index. We've also kicked off our manager DNI training that we will train every single manager um, and individual contributor, depending on your level in the organization and managers of managers around diversity and inclusion. So that's one part of it. The other part, I'll go back to where I talked about words matter. 
how you talk to your employees. Are you talking to your employees? Do you know your talent? And so there are several things there that I think leaders can clearly do. Number one, what are the conversations that you're having with employees? And, 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 and are you asking them, how are they feeling? What's going on? How can you better support them? And then allowing them that opportunity to be very authentic and show up authentically with that leader. And I think especially in this time, we have to create these safe spaces and encourage our leaders to step out and have very bold and courageous conversations. We have gone through a pandemic. We have gone through social and civic unrest, which we are experiencing and in the midst of now. And to ask employees just to show up and work, that does no, that cannot, no, that cannot exist because employees cannot just show up and work after having experienced what we all saw on television just two weeks ago, or not even two weeks ago, last week. And so how do you address that? What do you say? And how do you equip, equip your leaders to be okay and give them the necessary tools and resources they need to have that conversation? We have to help our leaders understand it is not about you being right, it is about you being human. It is not about you trying to solve the problem. It is about you just trying to understand and open your perspective to what your employees are going through and how they're feeling. And then you yourself having a place to be able to do that. It's not about just the work that they're doing, but it's also about helping the employee understand the value that they bring to the organization and that no matter who they are, they're valued for what they bring to the organization. No matter what you look like, no matter who you love, no matter what you do, we value you here in this company or this organization and equipping our leaders to be able to have those conversations. So I think it's also about being um, and helping um, our leaders to understand and creating that environment so that even as I'm having conversations with my peers, that my peers are then creating that psychological safety as well. The other oh. thing we have to understand, I'll just make this one last comment when I say no, that word. Great. Okay, okay. <laughs> the, last, the last thing I'll say is, you know, we all have biases. And I think it's important to understand that, that we all come with some level of thought the way we were raised. You and I talked about being raised with grandparents and great grandparents. Well, we have values. We have things we were taught. Now, I'm not gonna say everything I was taught was absolutely the right way to look at the world. So I have to be willing to own up to that and to address it. But that's what creates these unconscious biases in us. So it's not only those things we were taught, but it's also things that we see. Right. And sometimes, no, I'm not going to say sometimes, oftentimes when we have biases, it's because we don't have, we're not proximate or have a close enough, up, up close personal relationship with whatever we have a bias against. So a lot of times we'll see things, we'll hear things, we'll read things, we were taught things about certain people. And so we believe those things about those individuals. And we create sort of these um, 
um, uh, we, we create sort of these ideals about certain populations of people. And then what that does is that create in us microaggressions where there are statements that we make that sometimes can appear to be complimentary on the surface, but they really are sort of backhanded um, insults. And so examples include things like, oh, Sandra, you are so articulate. Well, what do you really mean when you say that? Are you saying, Sandra, you speak well because for a black person? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're thinking? Or are you saying, Sandra, you really know how to express yourself and you communicate very well with others and you bring people along, along the journey with your stories? Because if that's what you mean, then say that. But if that's not what you mean, then you have to really check the way you're thinking. Yeah, Again, absolutely. We, we all have to do that. So those are just some of the ways and things I think we should be thinking about. So you said several things that I want that I want to reiterate and make sure we highlight for our listeners. Um, I found it really I had not heard the 20 square foot thing before. And, and you did a, a great job of, of kind of explaining that, you know, there's a there's a limit to how far away people are and then you're really not in contact with them anymore. So really what what matters to someone is the is the people that they are experiencing contact with all the time. And are those people behaving and acting and speaking in a way that makes everybody in that space feel feel comfortable and feel safe. So that's something that we that we need to be be really concerned about. So often when I when I talk to leaders and, and, and speak to to groups of leaders, they think that what they're doing is effective because they're communicating or they're talking. But then the, the next thing you talked about was getting all the way down into the management level, um, which is typically in a large organization can be several um, levels down in the organization. Obviously, in small organizations, you know, it's not that not that not that spread out. But um, we, we spend a lot of time at the executive level um, in education and training. Uh, obviously, they have to come to the job with a lot of education, a lot of experience. But as you so clearly put, we often promote people literally off the shop floor into supervisory or management positions. And that was a problem we had at Kimray for, for a lot of our history is uh, we run a machine shop, an assembly group, you know, we're a manufacturer, we make products, people working with their hands. And... The guy that did a great job running the machine uh, made good parts, didn't scrap any parts, was always at work on time, didn't cause any trouble. When a supervisory position came open, that's who got promoted with no thought given to whether he had the capacity to lead people. out. He's a fantastic machinist, but he might be a terrible people person. You know, in fact, many of them were terrible. But what that made them great machinists is they focused on the machine. They didn't really worry about the people around them. And they had no skill, no training, and we weren't providing that. So over the years, we, we recognized that. And now we have a very extensive leadership training program. And before you can become eligible to even be considered for even a lead, you know, a lead position, which is below supervision, you have to have gone through Kim Ray's leadership, Frontline Leadership Academy, which is a fairly extensive process. They do a lot of, of work and have a lot of experiences and that both teaches them as well as gives the people who are running the leadership academy the opportunity to evaluate them. So that that was fantastic. And then I, I can't say enough. I'm glad you brought up the, the transparency, the authenticity in leadership. 
you know, we as leaders have to be willing to admit that we're not always right. And that, our, that and, and you said it, we all have biases that doesn't make us bad people. It just makes us people. I mean, that's, that's, we all went through experiences that created whatever, whatever we believe and think and feel and how we approach things, the filters we look at things through. That's just going to be, that's the way it is. And so the question is, are we willing to acknowledge that? Are we willing to acknowledge that maybe there's something left for us to learn? And if we can do that, if we, if we approach relationships and experiences willing to take the other person at face value and listen to them and, and consider the fact that they have experiences and, and beliefs and, and they're bringing all of that to the table and maybe there's something there for me, a lot of that kind of takes care of itself if we're just intentional about that. So that, that willingness for us to lead it's hard for it's hard for me when I see a leader say, hey, I want my people to to feel safe. And yet they obviously don't feel safe in their leadership because they're not being honest about who they are and they're not being transparent in their own leadership. If we lead with transparency and authenticity, then we create an environment where people feel like they can be themselves. And then people can say, hey, this is happening and I know you don't mean anything by it, but it makes me feel uncomfortable. That's what we always say at Kimray. If some, something makes you feel uncomfortable, you need to speak up. And we expect the response to be, you know what? I didn't realize that that was something that was causing a problem. And I care about you, so I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something different. And think about how many problems that would solve if everybody would just do that. I mean, that, that's so simple. And you, you did a great job of that. Okay, I want to hear a story. Oh, go ahead. But I also want to say, Thomas, in that is that we also have to save space for grace, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not perfect people and no one should expect us to be. And so I have to understand that as a, my leader is human. And so if it did say something, first of all, I, I have to understand that I want to lead with that they have, they, have, they have really good intentions. So I'll say safe space for grace. And when you approach them, approach it in a way that keeps them whole and keeps you whole at the same time. Um, the other thing um, that I'll, I'll say about that is you have to understand the difference between intent and impact. So yes, my intention may not have been to hurt or harm you or to say something misleading or, and I've even had people say that, like, I didn't realize that was a microaggression and that's okay, but on the impact, how did it land with the other person? What did it do right. to make you feel? So although your intent may have been pure, your impact may have done damage. And so we have to be clear around that. Absolutely, that's excellent. Okay, Sandra, I want you to tell me a story about a time, maybe when you were young, when someone, you know, showed you that you were valuable to them, someone demonstrated value to you. And how did that make you feel? And what impact did that have on your life? Yeah, so one of the things, um, and you know, I, I know people tell stories all the time about teachers. And that's why teachers are so important. Um, because that's, that's the one I pick. I mean, obviously my mother, you know, made me feel valuable all the time and my family, my, my father, but, but I want to talk about this one teacher. And I think it's important that even when we think about our educational system, you, you also have to think about who is teaching our children um, and what do they look like, right? Because that's important. I can't be what I can't see. So I have to say that. That's so critical. But this one teacher, um, when I was in high school, in order for us to graduate from my little town of Laurel, Mississippi, so I give a shout out to Laurel. <laughs> in order for us to graduate from high school, we had to write sort of this 
thesis paper. And um, it was the it was a grade that would determine whether or not you were ready to go to the 13th grade, if you will, which is the next phase after high school. And I was so nervous. I was a straight A student, but I was really, really nervous about this because all I knew is if I did not do well here, I would not um, I would not be able to graduate, which was um, very um, it, it, as you can imagine, very nerve-wracking. And so the teacher, she sat me down and and she she said three words to me. I think it's three words. So we'll count them as I say. But she says, I believe in you. So four words. That's all she said. Sandra, I believe in you. And that right there said everything to me. It said that she saw me. It said that she trusted me. It said that she valued me and I had value because she said, I believe in you. And I did end up passing, as you can tell, because obviously I'm out of high school, but <laughs> it went on to college um, and, and it helped me to become a much better communicator. And to this day, I say that statement to my son whenever he is facing a tough time. I just say to him, Caleb, I believe in you. And that's all I say. I say it and I, I walk away. And that's what I know that he needs in that moment. Wow. That's why words matter. Absolutely. That is, that is such a great story. Two things I got out of that story that I, that I think are, are fantastic. Um, you know, you said people can't be what they can't see. And of course, that's, you know, one of the things that, that we have a lot of work to do as a community, as a society, as a nation, um, to, to get more, a more diverse picture in all different roles so that young people can see themselves in those leaders. Um, I know that's something that, that women have struggled with um, throughout the history of the United States is it's hard for little girls to imagine themselves being the president of the United States. There's never been a female president. Of the United States. So how do you picture yourself being that? You know, if, if you're a white guy, it's not hard picturing yourself being things because there's a whole lot of us. And so we need to do that. But it's interesting that 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 we always think of it in those terms. But there are a lot of other ways that 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 applies. We realized at Kimray that if we ever wanted to be able to promote people from mid-management into executive leadership, that they needed to know what it looked like to be an executive leader and not just what they see when we're doing what we do. But, you know, there's a lot of closed door meetings. They're not closed door because there's a lot of secrecy. It's just it just makes it easier to do what you're doing. And so we started inviting our management group in uh, once or twice a month into the weekly senior executive meeting where the, where the vice presidents and the C-level officers meet. Um, and they, they're just observing. They're, you know, they're not, they're, there's nothing on the agenda for them, but they're watching how we interact, how we have conversations, how we come to consensus on things when not every leader in the room is going to agree with every decision, but you have to come to a consensus. There's a, a pattern and a path that we do that. And that give, gives them an opportunity to see that happening. And then they can, then they can begin to imagine themselves participating in that conversation. Otherwise, 
they have no idea what it's like to be a vice president because they've never even seen, you know, seen what it goes. So that is, that is so, so critical. I, I really, really, really appreciate you bringing that out. And then, you know, you said the, the words that were said to you were, I believe in you. And those are great words, but there's a lot of other ways that we can communicate. You know, I think most of the people that, well, I won't say most, all of the people that report directly to me, I trust them. If I didn't trust them, they wouldn't be in the role that they're in. But sometimes people need to hear you say those words. It's not enough to just, you know, go, well, I hired you. So obviously I, you know, I care about you. Word, like you said, words matter. Hearing things, you know, brings it into our lives differently. And so routinely when we're faced with a difficult decision, it's not unusual for um, my executives that report to me to, to kind of bring things to me because they're looking for my, you know, which way am I leaning? Because they, they're faced with a very difficult decision. And I often, instead of, instead of trying to lead them in, in the, to help them make the decision, I want them to make the decision. It's their responsibility and I, and I want the, their, it to be theirs. I just look at them and say, you know what? I trust you and I trust your team. You're going you're gonna to do the right thing here. And I let them go do their job. And, you know, that it's little things like that, that, that I think make a huge difference in leadership. So thank you so yeah. much for that. That's a great story. And Thomas, I'll point out some of the things that you've already shared, which you guys are doing some amazing things. So congratulations and kudos to your company and to your leadership. You've already pointed out three areas where we talk about, when we talk about being an inclusive leader. So it's establishing trust. It's having transparency. It's being authentic. And it is um, investing in your people. And those, those are some of the core skills that you need to be an inclusive leader. So I, I, I love that. And I just think you guys are doing just some amazing things. Well, thank you so much. Okay, almost last question, because I always have a last question. But, but another area that I want you to, to speak into for just a minute, um, you have a, a pretty impressive list of nonprofits and, and things that you're involved in. Um, including, uh, certainly not limited, but including the Family and Children's Services, the Black Women Business Owners of America, City Year, the Oklahoma Center for Nonprofits. You're very active um, in, in all the stuff that, that you have going on in your life. You are obviously working to make the world a more inclusive place um, and, and a safer place. We're seeing a lot of unrest and a lot of disturbance in the nation right now. There's a lot of people who aren't inclusive. There's a lot of people who, you know, aren't listening. They're just screaming at other people. Given all of that, what gives you hope for a better tomorrow? You seem like to be a very optimistic person. So, so what do you, what is your eyesight fixed on that, that gives you hope that things are going to get better? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, 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 that's such a great question. And I, um, one of the people that I do admire quite a bit and have heard him speak a couple of times, I've read his book, um, which is Brian Stevenson. And Brian Stevenson, for anyone who doesn't know who he is, please Google him or look him up. But he is cer certainly today one of America's premier civil rights lawyers. And there was a movie, Just Mercy, that came out about him, which I think honestly would be something fantastic for folks to watch if they haven't I, watched it. I video. saw that movie, Sandra. It is yeah. unbelievable. And I recommend everybody needs to watch that. There's a list of movies. I could give you a list of movies I think everybody yeah. needs to watch that we've really got some great film coming out recently. Um, th so that's fantastic that you brought that up. So go on. I'm, yeah, I'm excited. Absolutely. To 
And one of the things, a couple of things that he says, he says, you know, you have to remain proximate to the issue in order to make a difference. It's hard to make a difference when you are a million miles away. And there are ways to remain proximate. That doesn't mean I have to live in the neighborhood, but how do I understand what others are going through? And how do I really help us as a country solve for some of the ills that we have and some of the problems? And, and the way to do that is not just to sit home and see it on television, but all of us have a personal responsibility and accountability to make this nation what we want it to be. And so, yeah, we can all sit home and gripe about it, or we can get off our couches. Or one, one pastor said to me, get off your God, bless it. <laughs> and do something about it. And you all, we all have to figure out what that is. You know, for some of us, yeah, maybe we'll run for an office and make change that way. For some of us, maybe we'll take to the streets and peacefully, peacefully protest and show our support and get proximate to those folks and have conversations. For some of us, we need to go into the neighborhoods and volunteer and really see what it is and, and understand the needs of all communities. So we all will find a way to do that. Another thing that he talked about in, 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 in one of the speeches that he gave, he said that the last thing to really making change and to seeing a brighter future is to remain hopeful. The minute we lose hope, all is lost. And so we have to remain hopeful and we have to rely on that inner parts of us, that desire to do good, which we know is there for all of us. We also, as I said earlier, have to save that space for grace. And just because people do bad things, that doesn't make them horrible people. And we have to understand that. And sometimes we have to separate the person from the act. And I'm not trying to say that we need to not hold them accountable. But I'm also saying is we can't shun them and throw them away and pretend that it doesn't exist or they're not a part of who we are. You know, there's been this great debate. Are we who we say we are? That, or you've had people say, that's not America. Oh, it, it very much is America. It very much is. And it's hard to look in the mirror every day and say, this is America and I'm a part of this. So what am I gonna do about it? That's fantastic. Proximate to the issue, that is so, I, I, I just can't stress enough how important that is. I'm so glad you brought that out. Um, you know, just to pick an issue it, uh, here in, in Oklahoma, um, we certainly don't have the level of homelessness they have on the West Coast. Um, we don't have the weather for it, but it's still a significant issue in our community. And it really bugs me to listen to people gripe about um, homeless issues. And the first thing I say is, have you ever volunteered at a homeless shelter? Um, because they're making a lot of assumptions about what homelessness looks like and, and the choices people have made, and they really don't have any idea what's going on. And, and when you get down there and, and, and start working with people and you find out these are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and people with histories and people who have served our country and people who have college degrees and, you know, they're people, they're just people like you and me. 
and, and it changes how you see the how you see the issue. So that proximity is, is so important. And I love that I love that you've you've made the choice and you're obviously a big promoter of making the choice that, that we need to stay hopeful. Um, you know, that the, the adage that all that has to happen for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. You know, if we lose hope, if we give up, if we just stay home, then yeah, things are going to be bad and things are going to continue to get worse. But if we all got involved and like you said, it, we all don't have to do the same thing. It can be as simple as just volunteering or, or standing up for, for someone how much change we could make if everybody would do something instead of just sitting around watching it. So thank you so much for that. Okay. Last question. And, and you have to answer this short because that's kind of the deal is, is you, you know, you have a couple of, of minutes maybe, or even less to say something to an, to a group of emerging leaders, some, you know, a, a, a single piece of advice, what advice would you give a group of emerging leaders, Sandra? I would say be upstanders. And when you hear something that's not right or see something that's not right, say something. I would also ask them to understand what diversity and, in, and inclusion truly is. It is not a replacement strategy. It's not about me or you, it's about me and you. And last, I would ask them to remember that this is not a black or white issue, not a red or blue issue, but it's about being human. It's about being humane. That is fantastic. Sandra, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. I've, yes. I've loved your stories. You have so much fantastic stuff to say. Um, I, I wish you the best in all that you're doing. And I just appreciate the time you've spent with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thomas. It was certainly an honor and a pleasure to be on with you today. And, and it was great connecting with you. Take care. Well, this has been Word from the Herd. We really appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us, and we hope that you'll come back and spend some time with us next time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Word from the Herd, a production of the Kimmel Foundation. For more information about the Kimmel Foundation, visit us at thekimmelfoundation.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at The Kimmel FDN. Please share this podcast and join us again next week for another Word from the Herd.